All right, so we are looking at Proverbs chapter 3, 5 through 6. Um, Trusting in the Lord with all thine heart. We're looking at the topic of faith, and like I said earlier, this just, I mean, I could spend a long time on this topic, but uh, to, to keep moving on, I can only spend so much time on this topic. But uh, there were three questions that um, came to mind, and we're dealing with the first question, is God worthy of my trust? And hopefully I'll be able to finish, finish with that t- this morning. And um, so what I want to do is I want to present to you an example out of the Bible about someone who did consider God worthy of their trust. It's always good to have examples. That was, that's what Paul said in Romans 15.4. He says, well, For whatsoever things were written aforetime or written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. So, you know, these stories that we read about these people's lives in the, in the Bible, they're not there just to entertain us. They're written there for us to learn from them. To learn. Learn about what they went through. Learn about their struggles, their victories, their, you know, where they... These are just like you and me. These folks are just like you and me. You know, I was raised in a particular denomination, and I went to a to the capital of this denomination, and all along this big old square, they had all these huge, bigger-than-life statues of these saints. You know, the apostles and all these saints and stuff. And I remember as a kid thinking, oh, these guys are, you know, bigger than life. You know, these are like superheroes. But then after I got saved and started reading about some of these folks, I realized, you know what? They're just like I am. They've got the same follies, the same, they make the same mistakes, they do the same silly things, they, have, they, they wrestle and struggle with the same things that I struggle. And uh, so that's why they're there in the Word of God. They're there so that we can learn from them and uh, maybe get instruction from them and maybe, maybe even avoid some of the pitfalls that they fell into. Maybe. <laughs> right? Maybe. So I want to look at an individual that maybe, uh, that's my favorite word for today, you might not consider this particular person a person of faith. A person of faith. So what I want to do is I want to look at a man by the name of Isaac. Turn to Genesis 25. I want to talk, I want to talk a little bit about Isaac. Again, this may not be someone that you might picture as a great man of faith you know uh, really there's, there's only one chapter dedicated to the life of Isaac the, the man himself that kind of reveals his character but Isaac was a man of faith so Genesis 25 this is the, this is the um, passage that I'm going to springboard from everybody there? Okay. Genesis 25:19-24. He says, "And these are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham begat Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old. Now remember that when he took Rebekah to wife, the daughter of Bethuel, the Syrian of Padanaram, the sister of Laban the Syrian. And Isaac entreated the Lord for his wife, because she was barren, and the Lord was entreated of him, and Rebekah his wife conceived. And the children struggled together within her, and she said, 
If it be so, why am I thus? And she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said unto her, Two nations are in thy womb, and two manner of people shall be separated from thy bowels. And the one people shall be stronger than the other people, and the elder shall serve the younger. And when her days to be delivered were fulfilled, behold, there were twins in her womb. Now again, you know, some folks, when you think of great men and women of faith, perhaps Isaac might be way down there on the list. I mean, in comparison to Daniel or David or even Abraham, his father, you know, you might not consider Isaac one of those great heroes of the faith, someone who stands out in faith. But I chose Isaac for that very reason, because Isaac, in many, many ways, is just like you and I. He's just a normal believer. He's a normal believer, a normal guy who went around his business. He's not a brilliant star in the sky as far as the constellation of all the great men and women in the faith are concerned. But he was surrounded by those who had great faith. He was a descendant of a man who had great faith, in fact, who was known of great faith. And even though he was a normal guy... He was very crucial in the plan of God. Just like you and me. We are normal folks. And if I offend anybody and you think yourself abnormal, that's up to you. But, I got some smiles out of that. (laughs) I'd be normal. But, we are still pretty crucial in God's plan. Whether you think you are or not. You are still very crucial in God's plan, in God's plan on this planet. But the chief thing about Isaac's life was this. He believed in God's promise that God promised Abraham. That's important. He believed in God's promise that God had promised to his father Abraham. Now the issue is very clear here in this passage that that we read. Isaac and Rebekah know the promise that the Lord had made to Abraham. They know that this promise, this covenant, was, was, was established upon a seed. And they knew how crucial this seed was for the continuance of this covenant, of this promise. They knew how crucial it was. Genesis 15, 2 through 5 says, And Abraham said, O Lord, what wilt thou give me, seeing I go childish? And the steward of my house is this Eliezer of Damascus. And And Abram said, Behold, to me thou hast given no seed. And lo, one born in my house is mine heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, This shall not be thine heir. But he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. That's Isaac. And he brought him forth abroad and said, Look now toward heaven and tell the stars that thou be able to number them. And he said unto them, So shall thy seed be. It's in this very same passage that we read that famous um, verse about Abraham in Genesis fifteen six, And he believed in the Lord and he counted to him for righteousness. That's the same kind of faith that we have when we trust in Jesus Christ as our Savior, right? When we trust Christ as our Savior, it's counted to us for righteousness. But whose righteousness is counted to us? Yeah, it's Jesus Christ. 
righteousness. That is, that is, but the key there is our faith, isn't it? It's our faith. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Praise God for that. Ephesians 2.8, For by grace are ye saved through works? No, through faith. Through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. I am so grateful I don't have to work for my salvation because, quite frankly, I would fail. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Well, praise God for that. Praise God for that. And that's all because of faith. Our faith. We put our faith in what God has promised in Jesus Christ. A covenant. A covenant God made with us through the blood of the Lamb. Now you either believe this or you don't. It's that simple. You either believe this or you don't. You can either reject it or you can receive it. But does that change the fact that Jesus Christ is Savior? No, it doesn't, does it? No, it doesn't. John 14, 6, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. So whether I reject that or receive it, that's not going to change the fact that Jesus Christ is the only way to the Father. The only way to the Father. That's what Peter said in um, John 6, 68. He says, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And we believe and are sure that thou art that Christ, the Son of the living God. Is that what you believe? You better. It's crucial. Buddha doesn't have the words of eternal life. The only thing Buddha can offer you in his teaching is uh, what they call nirvana, which is extinguishing your being, being nothing. How would you like that? To be nothing in the end. To be non-existent. Muhammad didn't have it. Charles Taz Russell didn't have it. Joseph Smith or Mary Baker Eddy or this fellow down in Texas, Joel Osteen. They don't know the way. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. Okay, I'll get off my soapbox. Isaac entreated the Lord and Rebecca inquired of the Lord. You see, both Isaac and Rebecca went to the Lord in trust and prayer, seeking answers from the only one that could provide the answer. I mean, who made the covenant in the first place? Right? So Isaac entreated and Rebecca inquired? Yes. Yes. Both Isaac and Rebekah had a need and a perplexity about the same concern, yet from differing perspectives. They prayed about the same thing, the seed, but from differing perspectives and how it affected their part in the matter. How it affected their part. Isaac said, my wife is barren, Lord, you promised... Rebecca became pregnant and she had twins and she's thinking, wait a minute, this, this is about a seed and I've got two in me. What's going on there? 
But it was still the same concern, still the same thing. God's covenant. Both knew who to turn to and both went without hesitation. And I think this is a problem with many marriages where one goes to the Lord while the other one believes they have no need to go to the Lord. You know, it may apply to you, but it doesn't apply to me type of thing. This is is ignorant as well as prideful. If you've got one spouse saying, oh, you need that God thing, I don't. That's not going to make a good marriage. Oh, you're the one with all the problems, not me. That's not going to make a good marriage. So both Isaac and Rebecca, from their own perspective, but in one mind concerning the same thing, sought answers from the one they knew that they could get an answer from. They both worked together on this one thing in their prayers. So the first point concerning the question, is God worthy of my trust, is this. A faith that produces effectual and powerful praying is a faith that centers itself on a powerful person and his promises and not upon oneself. I'm going to say that one more time. A faith that produces effectual and powerful praying is a faith that centers itself on a powerful person and his promises and not upon one's self. 1 Peter 3, 7 says, Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. Though both approach the Lord different in their perspectives, concerning their joint circumstances, they were both united in the same purpose. And unfortunately, with a lot of married couples, they're not united with the same purpose. They're not looking to glorify God with their marriage. One person has this going on in their life, another person has this going on in their life, and they never meet together as one mind, one body. As God intended them. But here we have Isaac and Rebekah. Both of these are people of faith. They knew God's plan. They knew God's covenant. And that's what they were focused on. The will of God. And that produces powerful and effectual prayer. See, Isaac didn't blame his wife for her being barren. He prayed in behalf of his wife. Unfortunately, we've got husbands who blame their wives for this and blame their wives for that. And they fail to honor their wife by praying for their wife. And the same thing with a wife. They'll blame their husband for this and they'll blame their husband for that, but they don't pray for their husband. That's not a united front. Isaac showed honor to Rebekah by praying for her and her role in God's plan. Husbands, do you pray for your wife's role in God's plan? Oh, we pray for the church, and we pray for the pastor, and we pray for the upcoming conference, but do we actually take time to pray for our wife's role in God's plan? 
and vice versa or versa vice or however that goes that might be the reason why there's weakness in some folks' marriage we're praying but we're not praying together we're not praying with the same purpose in mind Both of these people, Isaac and Rebekah, both knew of the covenant that the Lord had established with Abraham. Both knew the importance of the seed in relation to this covenant. And both prayed with the same mind in connection with this promise concerning the covenant, believing that the Lord was worthy of their trusts. It was his covenant. It was his promise. Therefore, let's go to the Lord about this. Though different in perspective, both of these folks were of the same mind and purpose. Because they knew that God's promise, that God's covenant was involved. That's what makes a strong marriage. When the husband and wife are both working together for the glory of God, to fulfill God's will in their life. As well in the life of one another. Instead of this selfishness and this divergence that goes on. Isaac prayed that Rebekah would conceive according to the covenant established by God with his father Abraham. And Rebekah prayed because she was perplexed. Okay, if it's all about a seed, why do I have twins? What's going on here? But they both knew where to go. They both knew where to go. And they went together. And you know why they got the answers? Yeah, because they believed. That's true. But what was it they believed? God's promise. Yeah, God's promise, God's covenant, God's will. We have the same confidence. 1 John 5.14 And this is the confidence that we have in Him that if we ask anything according to His will, He heareth us. You see, so many times we don't pray according to His will. We pray according to whose will? Yeah. And if we know, and if we know that He hears us whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of Him. See, both Isaac and Rebekah knew God's will concerning the seed and both prayed about God's will. That's effectual prayer. That's powerful prayer. The one entreated the Lord concerning the fulfillment of his will and the other inquired about, the, about God's will in the matter because she had twins. Okay, God, what's this all about? And I'm pretty sure this couple was well-versed on the history of the matter. I'm sure Isaac knew that he was that promised seed that God spoke to his parents about. He knew that. He knew his place in the plan. Both he and Rebekah knew the great miracle that that the Lord had accomplished in Isaac's birth when his mom was well past childbearing age as well as his father. He knew his part in the plan. You think that's the problem with some of us? We don't understand our part in the plan? No, we're so busy about 
our plan. What we want to do. These guys were well versed in, in God's plan. You know, God, turn to Romans chapter 4. Paul speaks of this as he teaches on the theme of righteousness by faith in the, in, in, in the book of Romans. Romans chapter 4. Raise your hand when you get there. <laughs> Thank you. Romans chapter 4, starting in verse 16, it says, Therefore it is of what? That it might be by grace. You want to tap into God's grace? Faith. That's how you tap into God's grace. By faith. To the end, the promise might be sure to all the seed. Singular. Not to that only which is of the law, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations before him whom he believed, even God who quickeneth the dead, and calleth those things which be not as though they were, who against hope believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. I love this. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. You want to give glory to God? Be strong in faith. And being, I love this, fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. Is God worthy of my trust? Abraham thought so. Isaac thought so. Both Isaac and Rebekah knew the testimony of Abraham's life. They both knew that Abraham's faith was centered on one more powerful than he was. One who was powerful enough to perform what he had promised. They both knew that Abraham, by his obedience, deemed the Lord worthy of his trusts. They had that example. Are we being examples to those around us? Our children, our grandchildren, our friends, our neighbors, our co-workers. second thing about this question, is God worthy of my trust, is this. Faith believes the impossible is possible because faith lets God undertake for it, believing nothing is impossible with God. Faith believes the impossible is possible because faith lets God undertake for it, believing nothing is impossible with God. This is another aspect of that question we have to ask for ourselves. You know, there are some situations that seem impossible. Though not impossible for God to do anything about it. But to us, they seem impossible. 
But with God, it's not impossible. Now, we may not like the way he handles it. But the situa- there's no situation that's impossible for God. We just need to deem him worthy of our trust during those times. God can, can do the impossible. Do you believe God can do the impossible? Yes. Yeah, we give lip service to it. But when we're faced with those impossible situations, what do you say then? Thank you, God. Hmm. See, Abraham's faith was based on what God had said to him. God said to Abraham, get out of this country and go someplace you don't know anything about. (laughs) I don't even like going across the street. Ask my wife, one of, the, one of the worst things I hate is being lost. When I go on a trip, I hate not knowing where I'm at or where I'm going. I lose my salvation every time. <laughs> Yet in so many situations, God has done the impossible. We just read about it, didn't we? He didn't even consider the deadness of Sarah's womb, but he was fully persuaded that God could do the impossible. You know, when God called Abraham to leave, there was no parting of the Red Sea. There were no plagues. There was no gold letters in the sky. All he had to go on was go. Go to a place that I'll show you. Romans 12.1 Now the Lord said unto Abraham, Abram, I'm sorry, get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show you. Go. Just go. That alone is instructive about our estimation of God's worthiness to be trusted, isn't it? Have you ever had God tell you go <laughs> and you didn't? Why didn't you? Yeah. Are you sure? And from this initial command to go, he, he receives a promise. He receives a promise. What was it that Brian said? He says, you, don't, you, you can't know what God's going to do unless you show up. I think it's what he said. When he said that, I thought, wow. That's, yeah, simple yet profound. You can't know what God's doing unless you show up. So he goes and receives this blessing and I will make of thee a great nation and I will bless thee and make thy name great and thou shalt be a blessing. Now if Abraham didn't go do you think those promises would have been fulfilled? No. God would have chose somebody by the name of Hank maybe. But he went. He went. 
And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curses thee, and in the, and thee all families of the earth shall be blessed. From this seed promised to Abraham, did that not happen? Not a trick question. It did happen. Who is the seed that blessed all the nations? Was it Isaac? No, you see, God was looking further, further wasn't he? There you go. Galatians 3.14, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ. That we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Brethren, I speak after the manner of men, though it be but a man's covenant. Yet if it be confirmed, no man disannulleth or addeth thereto. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith not unto seeds as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed, which is Christ's. See, we, we only see this. God sees from the beginning to the end. Is he worthy of our trust? Again, we give lip service. Abraham's faith was justified by the birth of Isaac. Confirmed to Abraham that God is faithful and worthy to be trusted. Isaac indeed was born when Sarah's womb was barren and dead. How old was Abraham? About 100 years old? She was 99. Yeah. Well, I don't know if she was 99, but she was, she was up there. She was up there. Another incident in Isaac's life. Genesis 22.7 And Isaac spake unto Abraham his father and said, My father, and he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went, both of them together. Now, (laughs) Isaac knew that they were going to go worship the Lord. They had everything needed for the sacrifice except for one crucial thing. The sacrifice. Exactly. That's why he asked, Dad, where's the, where's the lamb? Abraham's son, God will provide it. Yeah. Isaac said, okay. And off he went. Now I think Isaac was big enough if he, if he were to see the jig was up, and he was a sacrifice. I think he was, he was big enough to take off back down that mountain. But here's the amazing thing. He submitted. He believed what his dad told him and he submitted. And he got laid on that altar. So do you think Abraham told Isaac, hey, God told me there's going to be many... From you, all this is going to happen. So Isaac probably... I don't know. Yeah. But Isaac had enough faith in what God had told his father Abraham concerning himself, knowing that he was crucial to that covenant. Isaac, I don't think Isaac knew, but Isaac had enough faith that he allowed himself to be laid on that altar. What does Romans chapter 12 tell us? Living sacrifice. Do we trust God? Is he worthy enough of my trust for me to present myself as a living sacrifice? Like an Isaac. 
like an Isaac. He believed what his father had told him. God will provide himself a lamb. He went ahead and got on that altar anyway. Did God provide a lamb? He did. But that, to me, I'm thinking of Isaac, that to me took some faith, some trust. Next day, John seeth Jesus coming on them and said, Behold, the Lamb of God, which take away the sin of the world. Did God not provide a lamb? Sure he did. Sure he did. Now, did Isaac understand that one day he was going to be a type? No. He didn't understand that at the time. All he did was believe what his daddy told him. Our daddy is telling us stuff. Are we getting up on that altar? Believing in what he's telling us? Like all of us, you know, we're all dead in our sins and trespasses. We're all bound to die. There was, you know, there's nothing we can do. Nothing that any of us could do for the wages of sin is death. There was nothing any of us could do. It's an impossible situation. But God did the impossible by making it possible by sending Jesus Christ as the Lamb of God for our sins. Christ was the Lamb provided by the Father to pay the price of sin, something that I couldn't do anything about. Something you can't do anything about. So tell me, is God worthy of my trust? It's easy to give lip service. Let me make a third point about faith. God's worthiness to be trusted. Faith is an awareness of the power of God, experienced by one's communion with God, as one learns that they can trust in God according to the Word of God. Let me say that again. Faith is an awareness of the power of God, experienced by one's communion with God, as one learns that they can trust in God according to the word of God. By faith, Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac, and he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son. Do you know what Abraham believed? That God would be able to raise Isaac from the dead. That's amazing. It says, when he was tried. When he was tried. You remember the illustration of the crucible? Where the silversmith knew just just the right amount of heat to apply to remove that dross from the pure metal that he was seeking to refine from that heat. That's why trials happen in your life. 
It's God wisely turning up the heat to remove that dross out of your life to perfect your faith in him so that you can say, God, you are worthy of my trust, come what may. He's perfecting our faith. Remember what I said in 1 Peter? Faith is the great commodity of heaven. That's what's precious. It's more precious than gold. Faith is the great commodity in heaven. You want... um, This is a terrible... You want purchasing power with heaven? Faith. Faith. You think that's what the angels desire to look into? Uh, they desire to look into what God is doing for us knuckleheads. Yeah, to them, you know, it's just, God, why are you, you know... Yeah. Why? I, I, that's probably pretty deep. That's too deep for my, for, for my thinking about it right now. <clears throat> but I want to give you a little personal ter- testimony. I can recall, a, a, we went through a dark time in our um, not in our marriage but in our walk with the Lord Diane and myself and it was one of the times it seemed like that everything that I believed in was just proving ineffectual you know nothing was going according to how I I thought it should go alright I mean I was serving and you know, I thought I was doing all the right things, but man, it just seemed like things were just going down the drain. So I got so upset that I went downstairs where my little study area was, and I began packing up all my books, all my notes, all you know, my Bible. I started putting them all in the boxes because I was going to take everything and put it at the curb. And Diane calls down and says, what are you doing? I says, I'm packing up all this stuff because nothing's working for me. This stuff just doesn't work for me. I'm just packing it all up. I'm putting it by the curb. I'm pitching it out. So as I was down there taping up all these boxes, and I have a lot of books. It's an understatement. So while I was packing up all these boxes, all of a sudden I heard this fluttering. And then a kerplop. And right there at my feet was Diane's Bible. And she said, if it isn't working for you, it's not working for me, so you might as well pack this away too. Have you ever had God hit you in the forehead with a two-by-four? Well, he did. And at that time, I knew exactly what the Bible meant when you have your heart smote. 1 Samuel 24, 5, And it came to pass afterward that David's heart smote him because he had cut off Saul's skirt. I got smote. You see, there was an impurity in my life. And God was turning up the heat to skim away this impurity. And that impurity in my life was me it was me my reputation my position 
my happiness, my ideals, my this, my that, me, myself, and I. But when that Bible of my wife fell at my feet, I realized, you know what? This is bigger than me. There's more on the line than just silly old me. See, the issue never lies at God's feet. But yet that's where a lot of people put it, don't they? The issue is never God's fault, but that's where a lot of people put it. They put it at God's feet. It's all his fault. But the real issue is that we need to humble ourselves and prostrate ourselves before him who is worthy of our trust, even when things aren't going according to our plans. When Diane's Bible hit the floor in front of me, I realized where the real battle was. Now, my, cir- my circumstances didn't change. They were still pretty rotten. But you know what did change? Yeah, my perspective. My perspective. God had taken the veil of the, my flesh and ripped it in half, and I was able to see the glory of God. But that veil had to be taken out of the way in order for me to see that. That's what Abraham had learned so long ago. In spite of the circumstances he found himself in, he still trusted in God. He still considered God worthy of his trust. Like I said earlier in Hebrews eleven nineteen, accounting, accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead. Accounting. <laughs> Do we account God more powerful than our circumstances and our situations? Worthy of our trust? The word accounting is the Greek word law. Oh, I'm going to butcher it. Logizomai, which means to think. To think, to conclude. A.W. Tozer once said the most important thing about us is what we think when we think about God. What are your thoughts concerning God? Romans 2, 3, And thinkest thou this, O man, that judgest them which do such things, and doest the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God? Some of us, yeah, we think so. We think we can get away with all sorts of stuff. See, with Abraham, it was 2 plus 2 equals 4. There was, new, there was no new math involved in this. There was no convoluted, long way around stuff. It was very simple to Abraham. Hey, God said it. Therefore, I believe it. Faith is an awareness of the power of God experienced by one's communion with God as one learns that they can trust in God according to the word of God. Isaac was learning the very same lesson about the Lord that his father Abraham had learned. The very same lesson. Hopefully I have time.
Let me bring up another event in the life of Isaac. Genesis twenty four sixty two. Genesis twenty four sixty two. <clears throat> And it says here in Genesis twenty four sixty two, And Isaac came from the way of the well Leheroi, for he dwelt in the south country. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field at the eventime. And he lifted up his eyes and saw, behold, the camels were coming. And Rebekah lifted up her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she lighted off the camel. Of course, this is when Abraham had sent his trusted servant to go find Isaac a wife. Because he, Abraham didn't want Isaac marrying the gals in the, in the region. He wanted to keep that seed pure. You know, and you know as well as I do that uh, the names in the Bible mean things. Leheroi means the well of the living one that sees me. Or is seeing me. And this is the very place that Isaac went to meditate. We would say go out and pray, have that alone time with God. So he went to a place that's named the well of the living one that sees me. Isaac knew what his dad did. And so Isaac went to pray about this. That's what I think. I think Isaac went to pray about Abraham's servant and Abraham's mission and the woman that this servant would bring back to him. Now, I can't find that in the Bible, but I can't help but believe that it's possible. Isaac knew that he was the promised son. He knew that he was the heir to the covenant that the Lord had established with his father Abraham. He experienced that special deliverance by God and when God provided the ram caught in the thicket. And he knew his father had sent his most faithful servant to seek him a wife. I think Isaac was praying about this because he knew his place in God's plan. Maybe sometimes we struggle with God's worthiness of of our trust because we don't know our place in God's plan. Maybe that's what we struggle with. 2 Peter 3.18 says, But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be glory both now and forever. Amen. You know, with all that we know, and I'm, I, this church, we know a lot. There's no excuse for anyone that is a member of this church not to know a lot. With all that we know, how much of what we do know do we truly meditate or pray about? And how much of that do we pray or consider as far as our place in that plan? where we fit our role in that plan. And are we willing to place ourselves on that altar to sacrifice me, myself, and I for God's plan? Is God worthy of my trust in this matter or not? These are questions I ask myself. 
Is my faith growing or declining as the years go by? Is my faith standing strong as sin abounds around me and the love of many grows cold? Boy, are we not seeing that today? There's a lot of folks giving up hope and becoming full of despair. Is my faith fostering a deeper and more intimate knowledge and relationship with Jesus Christ as my Savior? Or is it becoming a mere religion? A busy formality, something that we do on Sunday. Sunday. Sunday, Sunday. Sunday is what you eat, right? Sounds good, but I'm not going to have it. Are we more concerned about maintaining the status quo, or do we really want to get stretched and grow? Is my faith giving me the victory over the world, or has the world gained the upper hand? And can others witness my faith? Can they see my faith by my works? And by my faith, are they encouraged? Those are good questions to ask yourself. Do I believe God is truly worthy of my trust? And does it show? Does it show? Genesis twenty-five twenty-one. And Isaac entreated the Lord for his wife because she was barren. What is that uh, punctuation mark right there, if anybody's there? What is that punctuation mark? That's a colon. There you go, that's a colon. Because she, what's, what is it? Because she was barren, colon. Now, I'm not a, I'm, grammar was never my strong point, but according to the dictionary... Whenever you find a colon, it's to direct attention to the following matter. Okay, to direct attention to the following matter. Now, so often we focus on the circumstance. In this case with Isaac, it was the barren womb of Rebekah. So many of God's people, that's what they do. They focus on their circumstance. And they think that their circumstance is too big for God to handle. Or maybe their circumstance isn't important enough for God to handle. But what are we doing when we do things like that? We're making a judgment call on God, aren't we? Essentially what we're saying is, well, God's not worthy of my trust in this particular matter. So... Isaac knew of the covenant that the Lord made with his father Abraham. Isaac knew his place in this covenant. He knew he was the heir of the covenant. So based on this knowledge, he knew there had to be a a son born uh, from his seed for the plan of God to fulfill in this covenant. So what follows the colon? Anybody? What does it say? And the Lord was entreated. Bingo. That's what we are to focus on right there. The Lord lended his ear to him. Yeah. God was entreated. God was entreated. You see, that's where our focus should always be. On the Lord. Not the circumstances. Look at this also in Genesis 25, 20. 
And Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah to wife, the daughter of Bethuel, the Syrian, uh, Padena, 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 well, that place, the sister of Laban, the Syrian. Now take note, how, how old was he? 40. 40. Now go to Genesis 25, 26. And after that he came, this is when the boys were born, his hand took hold of Esau's hill. Notice how old Isaac was. 60 years old. Okay, so 60 minus 40, 20 years. Now whether Isaac had entreated the Lord for 20 years, or after 20 years of Rebekah being barren, he prayed, there was some time involved here. 20 years was involved here. And it's kind of interesting, you could take either one of those scenarios and you could, you could build on that, you can learn from that. But again, the thing was this, and the Lord was entreated of him. It took 20 years. Wait, you mean it's not like a flip the switch? Anymore? Yeah! I think that's where a lot of us get get our shorts twisted. Because we want God to work on our timetable. He doesn't work on your timetable. He doesn't work on your timetable. The important thing to remember is that God was entreated. And Rebecca did conceive. God was worthy of his trust. God was worthy of his trust. Whether it takes two days or 20 years, God is worthy of our trust. You see, the issue is never God's inability to do as he says he will do. The issue is always with us. Always with us. Perhaps we don't see God working in our lives, or perhaps we don't see God working in the lives of others. Does that mean he's not necessarily working? No. Philippians 1.6 tells me he's always working. He's always working. We may not see it, but he's always working. Isaiah 59.1 says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither is ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. Hmm. Maybe that's the problem. Maybe that's the problem. So a faith that produces effectual and powerful praying is a faith that centers itself on a powerful person and his promises and not upon oneself. Faith believes the impossible is possible because, God, because faith lets God undertake for it, believing nothing is impossible with God. And faith is an awareness of the power of God experienced by one's communion with God as one learns that they can trust in God according to the word of God. So the real issue in the matter is not with the Lord. Is he worthy of my trust? Yes, he is worthy of my trust. The issue always lies with me. The issue always lies with us. And that leads us to the second question. 
First one, is God worthy of my trust? The second one is, does God truly know better? Or more specifically, does God know better than me? And so we'll address that next week. Any comments or questions? Okay, let's close in prayer. Father in heaven, we come to you, Lord, in this matter of uh, trusting in you with all of our hearts. Lord, this is something that we struggle with because of the infirmity of our flesh. But Lord God, we know that uh, you are pleased with us when we exercise our faith with you. We also know, Lord God, that our faith grows when we get our noses in the book and believe and trust in what we read. Uh, Therefore, Lord, we pray that we would learn to exercise our faith so that we might bring glory to your name in all that we say and do. We thank you and praise you for your son, Jesus Christ, who is the evidence of your love for us, doing the impossible, making it possible. We thank you so much. In Jesus' name, amen.